We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. The best quality was of Peterman was that it was mentally tough. And it has to be given the situation, juggled and eventually caught by Jason Kroon. The ball comes out, and the Bears have it. It's a fumble and a takeaway. Eddie Jackson going the other way for the Chicago touchdown. Peterman in any way possible. Even some of the defensive players. Blitz is on, and Peterman's throw. And that's another takeaway for the Bears. Leonard Floyd with a touchdown for Chicago. Everybody, another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Chris Myers from Fox Sports. Drew, we don't get paid for this. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't get paid for this. No, we do not, Chris. We, we don't just, take a dime for doing this. Can we just not do this? Is not <laughs> No, that is not an option. A couple hundred people a week, Chris inexplicably give a shit about what we think. And at this point, hey, if it entertains them, it's therapeutic for me. So fuck it. We do this week in and week out. And I strive to help people try to find the levity and just make try, try to make this all fun, entertaining, even when it's not. Folks, we were talking, Chris and I, we were talking before we started recording tonight about being in a fist fight. Chris recently got into a fight at hockey. Yeah. It's one of the first times in his life. I shouldn't say the first, but one of the first times in his adult life he's been punched in the face. Well, any of my any fight, and I'm using quotes here, fights that I've ever been in has all been hockey-related. I've never been in, like, a bar or a school or a zoo. <laughs> Wherever you would find a fist fight, I am not there. So... So we were kind of going back and forth with this. Chris recently got into a fight at hockey and got suspended for a game. And he got punched in the face. And Chris, what happened? You threw a stick? Oh, yeah. If anybody's ever been to, like, a recreational hockey arena or rink, you all know that 
there's glass, and then above the glass, there is the uh, protective netting from the bleachers. So I got punched in the face twice. I picked this guy's stick up, and I threw it over the netting, like almost to the roof of the building. And it went, cleared the netting into the bleachers where people were sitting. And then you skated. It didn't hit anybody. And then you skated away. And then I skated away. <laughs> and then somebody said that that was Bush League, which I totally disagree with. I and mean, before, I didn't hit anybody. And before that, you were involved in an altercation as a 13-year-old, correct? That was my first fight in hockey was with Matt Eifert. Okay. That dude was a piece of shit. And my brother was the official for the uh, game. And it was, I was, he was square to the boards. I pinned him against the boards and was poke-checking at the puck. He threw an elbow at me. I cross-checked him in the head. He threw a punch. I threw a punch back. And then by that time, my brother had skated over, broke it up, and I got ejected from the game like a gentleman. So, folks, you can understand if these are the only two altercations Chris has ever been in his life, I, I, I'm trying to explain to him. In a fist fight, a fight. Not, not even just, oh, hey, I, I, we pushed and shoved. Not, the, not today's version of what a fight is. But the actual, like, hey, there's no one here to break this up and I'm in a scrap kind of a fight. You never remember the middle. <laughs> you don't really remember. I mean, everything that happens in between is kind of foggy. What you remember is the beginning and you remember the end. And I'll tell you that for me personally, this season is starting to turn into this. For the Buffalo Bills, this season, I, I, I can harken back to when, I mean, I, I'm not going to stand here and pretend I'm some kind of tough guy. I have had my ass handed to me before. And when it's going on, you're usually just, I don't know if you're in the fetal position, you're still trying to roll around so that they can't hit you in the same place twice. And you're just moving. And you just stick and move and just have to, you just keep thinking, this can't go on forever. This has to end at some point. Either he's got to get tired, someone has to come and break this up. That's what it's like to get your ass handed to you physically. And that's what this football season is starting to feel like for me. I mean, some of it's just getting fuzzy and foggy to me, Chris. I don't remember what happened. Like, I remember bits and pieces, but I... Like in years past, I used to be, you used to be able to ask me, Chris, what happened during this week on our, you know, in our, in the first half that we, you know, we struggled and then we came back and won in the second half. And I could tell you what happened in that football game. And I got to tell you, man, these losses, they're starting to blur together. <laughs> like, it's like I'm on the, it's like I'm on the bottom of a pile right now, just getting punched and I'm, tr I'm just covering up, trying not to take too much of it in. I mean, like, we got, like, we got, I didn't even realize it until, like, Monday, and we're going to get into it here in, in a minute, but, like, I'm like, yeah. Monday, I'm at work, you know, at 5 o'clock, 5.30, 5.30, I get up for work, and I'm there by, like, 6, and I'm looking back at yesterday's game, I'm thinking, oh, we got our asses handed to us, and then I'm like, oh, wait, we gave up less than 200 yards, like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I think we just got our asses handed to us all over the place when in reality our our defense was good? Well, but we'll we'll get into that in uh, in a minute. But folks, honestly, this is what this is turning into. So I'm just gonna steer right into it. Let's let's ride this out. Let's see how far how far can we hang in the pocket and just keep taking punches? I, I don't know, but I'm willing to find out, Chris. And with that, we're gonna launch into this week's Bills News Update. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to launch this off with an update on our friend Pancho Bila, Mr. Ezra Castro. 
Uh, for those of you who may not have Twitter out there, I do have a little bit of news regarding friend of the show, just overall solid human being, an inspirational son of a bitch, Ezra Castro. According to a recent tweet that he sent out, his latest CT scan has come back. And the results are that instead of improvement, there's evidence of enlargement in his existing cancerous masses. And it looks like new ones are starting to form. He is starting to... He's consulting with a new doctor. And they're going to try to come up with a new plan of attack. And he urges everyone out there to hug your loved ones when you have a chance. Whenever you get the opportunity. And you just keep sending positive vibes his way. As someone who's currently dealing with a touch of this in his own family. I, I mean, I just... There's nothing you can do but be positive, be supportive, and just hope that as things progress, because things are going to progress the way they're going to progress. And all you can do is try to stay as positive for that person as you can. And so, Ezra, from us to you, Chris, cheers. Good luck to you, brother. And then in terms of the on-the-field product, all right, Chris, shake it off. Philip Gaines, Philip Gaines, Chris, my favorite Buffalo Bill of 2018, right? No. <laughs> Philip Gaines sucks. has been cut and has immediately signed with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> you can't write this shit. Going as far back as the beginning of the season, I started to see signs in training camp, and in the preseason, that maybe Philip Gaines, you know, when you look at what, I guess this all starts, this whole conversation starts with Sean McDermott, really, if you want to get into it. Chris, Sean McDermott throughout his career has been known for his coaching of defensive backs. Yes, most notably safeties. Most notably safeties. Roman Harper was a player who was a longtime player for the, for the New Orleans Saints. He had a long career there, but towards the tail end of it, they decided that he was too old, he wasn't making enough plays, he was washed up, and they let him go. He signed with the division rival Carolina Panthers. And under Sean McDermott's tutelage and his defensive concepts, had a resurgence in his career, even though he was old as fuck. McDermott has that sort of, a, sort of an impact when it comes to his coverage units. And you can see that from all the teams that he's played against played against, coordinated for, whether it be the Eagles, the Panthers, that's been a staple of his career. Is just he's been a above-average coach of defensive backs and pretty much coverage concepts. So I'm sure that when they signed Philip Gaines, they saw the fact that he had been hot shit. He had been a flaming, flaming bag of human excrement for the Kansas City Chiefs, for the better part of three years on the football field, which is why they didn't, they didn't even attempt to retain him. And at the same time, the Bills took him on because, I mean, look at what McDermott's done here. He took two guys who the league barely knew and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and turned them into one of the conference's best safety tandems. Rookie Trey White was in the running for defensive rookie of the year. He took an old cornerback in, uh, what was it, Johnson, Johnson... Monte Davis? <laughs> no. Last year, he had an interior, a, a, an old, an aging slot cornerback 
and then a rotation of cornerbacks. You know, over the course of a season, EJ, who just all played above average football compared to what they've been throughout their careers. EJ Gaines, who's been up and down injury issues. He got the best, one of the best years that anybody will ever probably get from cornerback EJ Gaines, who, hilariously enough with the last name, EJ Gaines goes on IR, which is what prompts this move to the Browns. But so here's the thing. When you're talking to McDermott, McDermott had to believe that, hey, here's a subpar cornerback, but he's athletic, and I can coach him up and make him something. I mean, if you've had a track record of success, it it lends credence to this thought process of, hey, I can make this work. The thing that I take away from this most is that finally this, you know, Chris, how many times have you heard it mocked when he says in press conferences, we have to go watch the tape? I've seen it on t-shirts now. Says it often. Exactly. So to know that it's that common of a it's it's that common of a phrase that gets made fun of, they actually watched the tape and finally did something about what they saw. That a makes me feel better as a fan, and b as someone who runs a podcast and analyzes a football team makes me scream, "Why did it take this long?" <laughs> I told you, I could have told you this guy was going to be a bum in the preseason. Every Chiefs fan could have told you he was going to be a bum. I mean, I understand it. But now he's been released after a terrible game against, well, pretty much everybody we've played against this season. But he probably reached the pinnacle of it this week. So it's hilarious to me that one Gaines, former Bill EJ Gaines, goes on IR for the Cleveland Browns. And their response is, I don't know. What else can we pull off the shit heap? Oh, I know. This guy who just also got let go by the Bills. Chris, the way Philip Gaines has played this season, doesn't he just look like a Browns player? He looks like At a guy. At this point, he does. He looks like a guy. And in fact, I'm starting to he wonder. He deserves if, to be in a Greg Williams defense. He deserves to be in Cleveland. Point blank and period. More power to him. Chris, cheers. Don't let the door hit you, Philip. Where the good Lord split you. And with that, I think it's apropos that we jump right into this week's uh, this week's week nine recap because Oh god. Oh, we've got Philip we've got Philip Gaines for you, folks. Week nine. The Bears won 41, Bills nine. Statistics of the game. Points scored by the NHL's Buffalo Sabres. Nine. Against Ottawa the day before. Points scored by the NFL's Buffalo Bills. Nine. Quarterback Mitch Trubisky, 12-20, good for 60%, 135 yards, one touchdown, one pick, one sack, a 76 quarterback rating. Nathan Peterman, 31-49, of 63%, 189 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, four sacks, a 45.4 rating. Three passes attempted of 10 yards or more, zero completions. Why is he throwing the ball 49 times? Buffalo, 10 penalties, 163 yards, 22 first downs, 6 of 18 on third down conversions. LaShawn McCoy, 10 carries, 10 yards, 1.0 yards per carry. And Philip Gaines, 100% of this defensive snaps, two defensive pass interference calls for a combined 90 yards, three tackles, zero passes defensed. 
Chris, I think the apropos, I think the way that we should start this off is talking about the tailgate because that might have been the most enjoyable part of the entire day. That's what it is every Sunday at <laughs> New Era Field. I, I do mean, not look forward to the game because I know we're going to lose. Chris, we throw a mean tailgate. By yeah, it's pretty compa- good. By comparison to what we see going on around us in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sunday was like the, we had like the two ends of the spectrum for tailgating on each side of our tailgate. <laughs> we had one side was people just hanging out at somebody's trunk drinking beers. And then on the opposite side of the truck are just two people sitting in their car like they're in a relationship arguing with each other. It was weird. Get out of your car and party with people. <laughs> I went to both parties and asked if they wanted to join us because that's the kind of guy that I am. And we were lucky enough to have Aaron Quinn from over at Cover One, his brother who happens to be involved with the, uh, what, Bears Bar Room yes. podcast? Bears Bar Room. As well as Bears Girl from the Bears Bar Room and a couple other people who are Bears fans show up at our tailgate. It was a great time. The weather was fantastic. It was a little chilly in the morning, which is perfect if you're boozing before the sun comes up. I mean, it was just, the, the tailgate was everything, aside from the, the mass quantities of mud, which I guess is what you get when you park in a place called the mud lot. Outside of that, I couldn't have asked for a better morning, Chris. And that's that, pretty good. And that seems to be where everything came off the rails. I got to start with Nathan Peterman. Who I've I've taken to calling the human bad penny. I don't even know what to say anymore, Chris, because none nothing about the game that he played on Sunday makes any sense. He became the NFL's first quarterback, I think, since 1999 to complete 30 passes in a single game and not gain more than 190 yards. And his 189 yards is the lowest yardage total for a quarterback. Completing 30 passes going back to 19, the 1950s, I saw. Of course, what is that? How, how is it possible for you? In a year where we are on pace to set all kinds of dubious statistics. Well, I said it earlier. Why is he throwing 49 times? We don't need that out of Peterman. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to explain it to you, Chris. I can't. It's a good thing you're asking. But here's the thing I don't understand. This isn't so much about Nathan Peterman. There's more to what happened to him on Sunday than meets the eye. But I mean, I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about it. But it doesn't mean that the book is going to end any differently. When you watch the game live from the stands, the first thing that stood out to me was that the game plan heading into all this. I mean, I don't know if it's because the Bears are second in the league in interceptions, or whether it's just because they're afraid of Nathan Peterman. It must have dictated a game plan built around getting the ball out quickly to your first or second read. The average depth of target for the Bills was less than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. I mean, Chris, that's how you... Let me read off some of the wide receiver statistics that we ended the day with. Because his completion percentage is pretty good, right? Logan Thomas, tight end, catches seven passes on eight, eight targets for 50 yards. Running back Chris Ivory, three catches on five targets for 20 yards. Marcus Murphy, running back Marcus Murphy, three catches on four targets for negative seven yards. That's right, folks, and it went for negative seven yards. What the fuck is happening right now? I don't know. I don't know. I like how you started that off with uh, 
you know, wide receiver yardage, and then you did not list any wide receivers, a tight end and two backs. Because, it, unfortunately. Where were our wide receivers? Exactly. I, I'd like to know that, too. Chris, I wish I had an answer for you. The problem with the type of football that we played on Sunday, I don't know whose fault this is. This is this is just, it's conceptual. It's like concept fails, execution fails. When you play that type of a game, you invite defensive backs to creep down into the box because they have no reason to fear you going over the top of them. I mean, Chris, three deep attempts, that's it. That's all we tried. Passes of more than 10 yards. We missed every single one of them. And every single one of them was to Kelvin Benjamin. So that becomes very easy to take away if you're a defense. So you're encouraging these defensive these defensive backs and extra linebackers to creep down into the box. Now, I don't know if this is a chicken or egg scenario. This is essentially what you're dealing with, Chris. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that Brian Dable isn't designing enough aggressive downfield plays to get Peterman comfortable in the pocket? Or is it that Nathan Peterman is so bad that the offensive coordinator doesn't trust him to run those kinds of plays and essentially only gives him one read and makes him run with the football if there's nothing there? If you had to pick one of those, what side of the coin do you land on? Say that again. I was pulling up something that I'm going to talk about in a second. Okay. Which do you think, because like I said, chicken and egg concept here, Chris. Is it the fact that Dable isn't being aggressive enough of an offensive coordinator trying to call plays to loosen up the defense or space guys out? Or is it that Peterman's so bad that the offensive coordinator can't be aggressive? I think it's the second one. Because I don't think Dable believes that Peterman's got a strong enough arm to throw it down the field. I mean, I'd argue that that has to be the case, but at the same time, you can make a case just as easily for the other set of things, which explains what the fuck is going wrong with this offense. And then you watch what happened on the field, and some of it is just mind-numbing bad luck. On the first interception, Chris, I, I have to think that all the time off from football had to give wide receiver Terrell Pryor, it must have left him confused as to what kind of sport he was playing. Because it looked like he was playing volleyball. He literally just set the ball like he was waiting for someone to spike it. Except instead of spiking it, it was intercepted by a wide receiver, by a cornerback. <laughs> and on the second, which got returned for a score, you can make the argument that there was defensive pass interference because when you watch it in, you know, when you watch the replay, it does look like there was a cornerback who got to Zay Jones too early, which caused him to scoop the ball <laughs> into the air instead of just catch it or just drop it. But it doesn't matter because the end result of the play is that both of these wide receivers tossed the ball into the air where it was conveniently caught by a member of the defense. And in, in the case of the touchdown, the linebacker, that's the easiest pick six I think I've ever seen in my entire life. The linebacker almost didn't know what to do. You watch him. He, he's indecisive because he's like, holy shit, is this ball actually just beach balling up in front of me? I wonder how many of Peterman's interceptions have actually been on deflections. Because I know the pick six against the Chargers went off baby hands and returned, and then this one, Zay Jones, off his hands, returned for a touchdown. I just, I the end result of both of these interceptions seems to be that there's, it gets picked off by whoever the extra man in the box is. And there's a part of me that thinks that these don't happen. 
if you can find a way to get these extra players, your, the extra safety, the extra linebacker, move them out in space. <laughs> Create a little bit of room for these wide receivers to operate. I mean, at least then when these plays happen, the ball falls on the ground and not to the extra man who's just standing there with no one to cover. <sighs> Chris, it's... I mean, this is literally when... But that being said, this is Nathan Peterman. This has been the story of his entire starting career. Different offensive coordinators, different personnel around him. It doesn't change. Deflected interceptions for touchdowns, fluky interceptions. The guy is just bad luck. He's bad juju. So either you go get a voodoo priest, or maybe you just get him the hell out of the city. I mean, Chris, I, I don't understand. Is there a monastery somewhere over in Tibet that would be willing to take Nathan Peterman? At this point, I'm willing to go find out. But it's not all his fault, is it, Chris? No. I mean, who else we is suck as a team? But who else is supposed to be helping him on offense? Uh, there's Daybold, and then uh, since he's a rookie, you probably want to have a decent running game. Yeah. So where has our running game been since week one? I don't know. Why don't we put it on the back of a milk carton and try to find it? I don't even think that would work. I mean, but what? Chris, we could buy ads, buy billboards. I, I don't know. You look at LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy in the offseason was seen as the engine that was going to make this offense run, given that we were going to start a rookie quarterback. His struggles, I mean, I, I've, I've investigated this, and I'm really starting to see, I'm seeing the picture a little bit clearer now, halfway through the season. To say, <laughs> 2018 just hasn't been LaShawn McCoy's year, and Sunday was an all-time low. LaShawn McCoy regarded his fourth highest carry total with 10 on the season, okay? But finished the game with just 10 rushing yards, one yard per carry. I looked at games throughout the course of his career going all the way back to his rookie season in 2009. Chris, that's a decade. McCoy has literally never been held to one yard per carry in a game where he got five or more touches with the football. So you can understand his frustration watching what's happening with this offense. I mean, I, I myself went online and looked for audio, as does Chris every single week. I was specifically looking for him to elaborate on his frustration. But I couldn't even, I mean, you think about it, Chris, this is just like you heard his comments after the Patriots game. You heard his comments after the Packers game. Dis disappointment, frustration. Sunday was so bad, McCoy refused to speak with the media. Can you blame him? No, he probably would have lost his mind. Probably been like a, done like an Aaron Rodgers interview where he just undermines everything that the franchise is doing. <laughs> uh, I mean, Chris... If you had stuck a microphone in my face after a performance like that and recorded my thoughts immediately afterwards, all I can see is just some kind of profanity-laced tirade. It would be like Alex Jones. If Alex Jones was a Bills well, actually, podcaster. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. You kind of already do that to me after, yeah. after our games. Yeah. That's how you are after the games immediately. Oh, you and are. It takes you 48 hours to calm the fuck down. Which is why we record on Wednesdays, folks. Now, 
this is it. It's it's not hard to see why LaShawn McCoy has had such a shit season. You watch the offensive line play, and if you sit in the stands or if you're watching at home and you're actually paying attention to the formations and the way things are being executed, one thing has stuck out to me time and time again. Even with McCoy, I mean, I'll be the first one to admit it. LaShawn McCoy does not look as explosive this season as he has in years past. But the line and the game flow have been disastrous for his productivity. Time and time and time again. The lack of a passing attack has led to teams just playing a ton of single high safety and putting extra defenders in the box. And the play of our offensive line has been so bad that they're not able to compensate, which leaves free defenders on almost every single snap to just move into, move into the rushing lanes and make plays. And today I, I, I verified that the numbers back up what my eyes are telling me. Statistically, our running backs are having a terrible year in terms of yardage. According to Pro Football, uh, what is it, Football Outsiders, the Bills' offensive line is not great in terms of runs getting stuffed, but they rank 25th in the NFL, meaning that we aren't the worst team in football in terms of at least getting our our running backs to the line of scrimmage. The problem stems from the fact that we are the 32nd ranked team in terms of blocking at the second level. So the issue now becomes, Chris, I've got defenses that aren't scared of my passing attack, so they crowd the box. I've got an offensive line that can get my running backs to the line of scrimmage and really not much farther than that. You know how they've upgraded, at least for practices, I think I've seen them on, um, I've seen them in commercials and they probably, teams probably have them, but they're those like remote control dummies. Can we start five of those on Sunday? (laughs) I don't know, but we have to figure something out. I mean, and then here's what I'll say. The culmination of this is something we actually talked about in one of our, our, we, every year, folks, for those of you who are new to the show, we record with different uh, draft people who work in the draft community. And one of the shows we did was on running backs with the RSP Film Room's Matt Waldman. And we spoke about running backs, and one of the concepts that came up was the fact that what set, in every given draft class, there's a handful of running backs who can just who all have the physical tools, just naturally, just on their own. To be a lead rusher and, in some cases, a star running back at the NFL level. The the thing that really separates the ones that make it from the ones that don't is whether or not they develop patience and field vision. Or whether they're the guy who just comes out like C.J. Spiller and tries to turn every single play into a home run. And you can make the case... C.J. Spiller was a talented enough running back in college to come into the NFL and be a dynamite running back. But he tried to turn every single play into a home run instead of just taking what the defense gave him on more downs than not. On the flip side of that, you've got the Jamal Charles and the LaShawn McCoys of the world. But then you've also got Lawrence Maroney, who, first-round draft pick for the New England Patriots, had all the physical ability in the world, but never became that dynamic running back that they were looking for because he didn't know how to stop trying to make every play an 80-yard play. I think the problem for LaShawn McCoy, 
first and foremost, is the fact that he feels like he has to make something happen every single time he touches the football because the rest of the offense is so bad. Chris, do you see this as something that's possible? Is it a plausible thing, or am I just drunk? I mean, you are. it's both. You are drunk, and I could see that McCoy would want to try to hit home runs every every time. A, because I don't think he gets the ball enough as he should. And when he does, he just he wants to make a home run play. And, and that's been the de- – again, it's to his detriment because you're running behind a terrible offensive line into a loaded box more often than not. So you're not, you're not going to get home run plays. Instead, you should be looking to just, hey, can I get behind this guy and get three yards? Can I get behind this guard and center combination and just try to eke out two or three just to keep the drive moving in a positive direction? Instead, what you see is him just trying to get out in space. But we don't have offensive linemen who can get to the second level and block to create that space. So it's creating this quagmire that everyone is falling into headfirst. And, Chris, essentially that's where we die on the offensive side of the football. I mean, I I feel terrible for him. I feel awful. This has to be the worst offensive line and the worst offense overall that he's played on in his entire career. And I, I just I feel I bad do, for LaShawn McCoy. I do feel bad for him as well. And Bean probably should have done the right thing and sent him away for any kind of pick that he could get. <laughs> well, we've already crossed that bridge. You've already chugged your Seagrams. But when you talk about the offensive line, I guess the silver lining to come out of Sunday's game is that there are changes coming. Yeah, didn't Wyatt Teller play finally? Absolutely. For the first time all season, Russ Bodine and Deion Dawkins were the only offensive linemen to play 100% of the snaps. Jordan Mills, saw the right tackle, saw the largest drop-off in snaps. As the team plugged in Jeremiah Searles, who's a, a guard tackle, just a backup on our roster, in his place for a large part of the second half, And Wyatt Teller himself, I think he got 16% of all the snaps, but he still got into the mix at guard. Chris, that, above everything else that we saw on Sunday, has to leave Bills fans with some sense of positivity. That, okay, these teams, this coaching staff has seen enough from certain players in a season that, at this point, we we all have to admit what it is. It's a lost season. It's a lost season. And I think that we went into halftime down 28 nothing, and right then at the half, McDermott went, well, fuck. This is a game we're not going to win. That's seven losses on the season. Nine and seven, if we run the table, that probably won't get into the playoffs. So let's start seeing other people. Fucking right. It's going to be interesting to watch and to just see what the, you know, obviously I'm going to have my eyes glued on what's going on in the media just to see what what practice looks like this week. Who's getting snaps with the first team? Who's getting snaps with the second team? And then coming into Sunday, I mean, it's going to provide one of the biggest stories of the game for me personally. It's just going to be watching the offensive line and seeing who gets to play where and how many snaps they get. Because I do think we've reached that point where it's time to start seeing what people have on the offensive side of the ball, knowing that there's some guys who simply aren't going to be here next year. Chris, you yourself said it last week. What did I say? That that most of our offense was not going, most of the offense that was starting for the last six, seven weeks 
will not be here next year. Oh, yes, yes. I did say that. <laughs> that See, will happen. So with that said, Chris, this seems like the perfect opportunity. Fuck it. Let's fuck it. Throw these guys out there. What do you have to lose? Shuffle up the offensive line. Remember in the preseason how I complained about it constantly? Probably, yeah. You <laughs> like complain the, about a lot of things, so I forget what you're complaining about. It all just blurs together in one yeah. giant shit montage just for Just like you. this season has. <laughs> Ultimately, it's going to be fun to see what they do with the offensive line going forward and see what the results of that are. Because ultimately, some of these guys are going to make it, some of them aren't. And if some of these younger guys, these unheralded guys, can step up and provide a little bit of a spark, kind of like how Groy started the season at center and was terrible, and then he got replaced by Bodine, and he hasn't been a world beater. He probably shouldn't be our center next year, but he was better. Maybe some of these other guys can do the same at their positions and at least prove that they deserve another year. That's going to be an interesting fight to watch. On the opposite side of the ball, Chris, I could not be I couldn't be more impressed with our guys. I couldn't. You said it. Yeah. You couldn't believe. You I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, we got our ass kicked today, and I'm like pass out on my couch for the rest of the day. Which by the way, we did leave at halftime, like gentlemen. We left with everyone else at halftime. Like I wouldn't this. say we left like gentlemen, but that's a story better oh. save for a later day. Oh, yeah. And I, I came home, and I just crashed on my couch for the rest of the night, and I get up and go to work, and I'm reading the stats of the game on my phone, and I'm like, we gave up less than 200 yards, and we gave up 41 points? <laughs> how does that happen? I'll tell you exactly how it happens. You have an offense like what we've been fielding. I mean, for anybody who's angry about the team as a whole, you're not paying attention. Let me run this down for you on the defensive side of the football. Our defense held the Bears to just three conversions out of 11 attempts on third down. Trey White had a, had a pretty interception. I mean, it was, it was solid. Held Trubisky to 135 yards passing and got a sack. We gave them 2.6 yards per carry against the run. And when you look at what we accomplished against the running backs when they were utilizing the running game... Seven tackles for a loss and two tackles for no gain. Milano, Yarbrough, and Hughes each had two tackles for a loss apiece, Chris. Yeah, Harrison Phillips, also excellent game. I hope the Bears fans paid attention because we went on two shows last week and we told them, hey, look out for Matt Milano. The dude's watch, a stud. Watch out for him because he's dude, getting better every game. And that's the takeaway I have from this. Imagine how, de- well, first of all, demand, imagine how demoralizing that locker room has to be for that defensive side of the ball. And yet every single week it seems like that D just comes out swinging against opposing offenses. I don't know who's giving those locker room speeches. I don't know if it's still Kyle. I don't know if they've deferred it to somebody else, but whoever's doing it, I mean, kudos to you. Because this this group is coming out fired up every single week even as the team is falling apart around them. They're doing everything they can to keep the Bills in these games. And with that, I mean, I, I can't fault them at all. Except for one guy. Philip Gaines, ladies and gentlemen. Philip Gaines. And that makes him this week's Zero of the Week. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Oh, Guaranteed. I could have guaranteed you that he was going to catch some shit after this game. I just didn't know they were going to cut him. Yeah, we put that piece of shit in a box and sent him across the lake. <laughs> Get him the across, fuck out of here. Ac- across Sandusky. 
With Philip Gaines, folks, the thing that bothers me the most is that we came into the season knowing he wasn't great. Watching him in this game, though, just he's lost. He was lost in coverage. He was a, he's a big play machine every single week for the opposing offense. And he was at it again. Two defensive pass interference calls on the same drive that sets them sets the offense up for a short touchdown. In a game where the defense did everything possible, all other 10 starters on that defense did everything they could to keep this team off the board, and there was one weak link in the chain. And his name is Philip Gaines. He's gone. But he's been that way for weeks. So I guess I, a part of me doesn't understand why it took this long if a layman like me can see that he is probably the biggest detriment on the defense. As well as the fact that Ryan Lewis grossly outplayed him when he got his starts. And now we've promoted uh, former Alabama Crimson Tide cornerback Levi Wallace off the practice squad to take his spot. I have to assume that Lewis is going to get the start this week, which is exciting. But Chris, the guy was a bum and he made it till week nine. I, I don't get it. I don't get it, and I understand, again, this is the coaching staff constantly deferring towards veteran, just, hey, you have experience, and we're going we're gonna to throw away the tape week after week after week on you because we defer to your experience instead of your production. Until this week. This was the week the clapping stopped. <laughs> and then that brings us to the hero of the week, which... This one took Chris and I a good 10 minutes to come up with a candidate for. We gave it to newly returned Buffalo Bill punter Colton Schmidt. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. I suggested giving it to Reed, but then I remembered the first punt Colton had, Reed threw it at his ankle. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Folks, when your punter is on the field seven times... And he's the hero of the game. He's the hero of the game. I mean, it's it's bad. Because that's the only positive thing I could take away from anything anyone did on the offensive or special team side of the ball. And then on the defense, there was too many people to give it to. I could have I could have gave it to Matt Milano. Matt Milano was great. Tackles for loss. There were things. Were... But how many times, Chris? I mean, at this point, we might as well just give it to Matt Milano every single game. That should all... that should be like a new Seagram's thing. Like if we if we have people on in draft in draft prep and they and we like review our draft and they're like this player is going to be good and you hate the pick you should have to drink a seagram's every time that player is your hero of the game because you would have had to drink thousands of seagram's if we did that for matt milano and unfortunately we can't just give it to a unit as a whole no otherwise the defense would win it every single week and that defeats the purpose of the exercise So, Colton, welcome back to town, and congratulations. You are the hero of the week on the Buffalo, <laughs> the Buffalo Bills Rockpile Report podcast. Cheers. Punters. Oh, punters. Chris, we're toasting punters. We're, we're over here lamenting the fact that our, our star running back has one yard per carry on average. Don't worry, <laughs> folks. About to get real good. Because there are a whole laundry list of people who have things worse than us this week. You are one pathetic loser. We're going to start the list this week off with the Bills fan or, I guess, stadium staff member who shit in the seats. 
This is irritating because for every like one thing, like Andy Dalton thing that happens, and we make those donations, there's like three or four of these style of stories where just it just makes Bill's Mafia looks like look terrible. Folks, when you walk down the street, or when you go to work, or when you go to eat at a Chinese buffet, you see a lot of different people who just I don't know make you feel better about yourself. Or if you're a judgmental prick, you probably see them everywhere. But God damn it, everyone. What are we doing here? <laughs> I know that everyone listening to this podcast is better than whoever the fuck this guy is. According to Deadspin, a Bills fan named Tim tweeted them a photo from section 122 in the seats directly above the end zone, which are not cheap. Okay, those are not cheap seats. There's a complete opposite end zone that we sit from where we sit. <laughs> tweeted them a photo reporting that someone had literally left a human dump prior to the game under the seats in front of him. That's right, folks. A steaming mass of Buffalo Bills offense. That is one big pile of shit. What the fuck are we doing, guys? I mean, first you're throwing marital aids on the field. Now we're pitching loaves in the stands. I don't get it. <laughs> I feel terrible. I feel terrible for everyone involved here for varying reasons. I feel bad for Tim, the innocent bystander who had to smell Duke for the first like at least fifteen minutes of the game. I feel bad for the unnamed pooper because you're clearly a broken individual because you feel comfortable dropping trow in the middle of New Era Field, and just pinching off one. I don't understand. And also for the rest of us for now having the knowledge that we share a team and a fan base with some wild animal that needs to be euthanized. Wild animal that should be, that should be you. You're a wild animal that you should also be euthanized, but for different reasons. <laughs> Folks, that's no good for anybody. All right? That is no good for anybody. Also, guys who feel like shit this week, at least worse than we do having watched the Bills, how about this, the, the Ottawa Senators players caught on tape? You want to talk about awkward. The NHL, NHL hockey team, the Ottawa Senators, had some of their best players, forward Matt Deshane, Chris Weidman, Chris Tierney, and a bunch of other Canadian names, random Canadian name motherfuckers, all got into an Uber. They were in Phoenix. Maybe maybe they went out after a particularly bad game to let off some steam, you know. I mean, <laughs> their team is 28th out of 30 teams on the penalty kill, and they've lost a, a lot of games so far this year. I mean, they're, Chris, they're not good. Yeah, the game in Arizona, the, where I guess where this happened at, that, that was their fourth loss in a row <laughs> before uh, going back to Ottawa to play Buffalo last Thursday. So, <laughs> So it makes sense that they might want to bash their boss in charge of some of the negative aspects of their team. You know, the Buffalo Bills players, I'm sure, can, you know, Chris, I'm sure there's been things said about Brian Dable. I'm sure there's been things said about certain position coaches by players on the Bills staff. None of them are dumb enough to get recorded by an Uber driver and then have that video obviously make it to the Internet. Chris, can you give me some context to some of this stuff? Uh, yeah, most of it came from Matt Duchesne uh, talking about uh, uh, the penalty kill coach, uh, Martin, what's his name, Martin, Marty Raymond. said, Marty Raymond, the only coach in the NHL history to have the worst 
power play and the worst penalty kill within a calendar year of each other. And they proceeded to just drunkenly in Canadian style, obviously because they're Canadians, it was super polite bashing. Yeah, uh, DeShane said that he hasn't paid attention in uh, in, fil- in film room in three weeks. <laughs> that sounds like a schoolgirl complaint, but by Canadian standards, he might as well have told his mother to go fuck himself. Well, the fact that, th- that this happened... This happened a week ago. I don't even think that the season at the time of the recording was three weeks old. So that means you haven't been paying attention in film room at all. Oh, Jesus. Guys, here's the thing. When you get drunk, here's here's something for NFL players, for just regular people wandering around. When you get hammered and you go out in public, don't talk shit about your employer. How about that? Just as a golden rule. Because I have to say that these hockey players, the morning skate was probably pretty awkward afterwards. I mean, Chris, we're talking the epitome of Canadian rage. And by that I mean uh, the coach opened the door for the players but didn't say you're well, you know, and they didn't say thank you and he didn't say you're welcome. Yeah, if I'm the Ottawa Senators players, I fucking sue that dude. <laughs> I don't even, I, I, we all know I drive, you guys all know I drive for Uber. I don't have a video camera in in my car i wish i did but i don't well, and i wouldn't put any of it on the internet i'm not that dumb you, absolutely you should i mean i would show you <laughs> that i mean that's about it i would sh- if anything like by two chicks kissing or whatever happens in my back seat you know if, I, if i'm out ubering on a saturday night on chippewa at 2 30 in the morning you're going to find some stuff. Chris, I'm not going to lie. I want to see nothing that goes on inside your vehicle after 2 a.m. when you're driving Uber. There are some animals in this city, and I, I, they, they should be euthanized along with the guy who pooped. Oh, believe me, next time I, I'm on Chippewa and I pick up a couple at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're making out in my backseat, you better believe I'm going to put on R. Kelly in my car. Oh, my Help God. that dude out. You're, you're that guy. But... For as bad as everybody else has it, at least your buddies didn't get so pissed off over the Bills' struggles this season that as they were storming out of your house, which I'm sure has happened to a lot of you, they didn't burn it the fuck down. (laughs) According to Deadspin, in Argentina this week, two of the region's top football teams, being soccer, Boca Jr. and River Plates, were playing each other. A man named Oscar lived with his roommate Arturo, and they were fans of rival factions. The game went south, one team kicked the shit out of the other one, and Oscar got on the losing side of things. And because it's soccer, obviously some crazy shit happened. They fight, Oscar decides, you know what, fuck you, I don't need to live with you, I'm going home, I'm getting my stuff. Arturo tells him, hey, you go do whatever, Ah, fuck you, my team's great. Oscar goes back to the house, gets his shit, and then decides, you know what, fuck you, it's soccer. And sets his house on fire. <laughs> he sets his house on fire and walks off into the distance like some kind of fucking action movie hero. Could you imagine if pro, like American football was at the level of soccer was internationally? You and I would both be dead. You yeah. and I would have killed each other a long time ago if that was the case. <laughs> I mean, this probably happens in like L.A. because we know like oh my God. people that hang out at the Coliseum. Uh, I just feel bad for this guy. I mean, (laughs) our team may be terrible, but at least nothing that we love is engulfed with flames when the game is over. Yeah, please, nobody uh, get an idea and go burn down Daybolt's house. It's a bad idea. And now that we've talked about things that are 
shit and things that are covered on fire, I'd like to talk about something that's both. And that's the Oakland Raiders and their entire fan base. Chris, how? How? For everyone who says it's hard to be a Bills fan right now, how are you a person who roots in Oakland who roots for the Oakland Raiders? I don't understand. I have no idea. They're currently 1-7. They traded away a generational player in Khalil Mack. They traded away their former first-run draft pick at wide receiver in Amari Cooper. They're one of the worst offenses in football, right up there with the Buffalo Bills. And they allowed an NFL quarterback named Nick Mullins. That's right. You probably never heard of him. Neither have we. His very first NFL pass, he got to throw against the Raiders. It was his first NFL game ever. He put up 262 yards, three touchdowns, and a 151.9 quarterback rating. Chris, holy shit. If that's in a shovel to the back of the head like that, you've seen that video on YouTube, right? Where the girl tries walking away and the other one just hits her in the back of the skull with a shovel. That's this. Holy shit, if that's not a nail in the coffin, I don't know what it is. You can try to tell me, okay? You can try to tell me, like, okay, well, the Raiders, they're they're restructuring and they're getting rid of players they didn't want to pay and they're amassing draft capital. If I'm a Raiders fan, what, what do you even do here? Who do you root for? Do you even bother getting out of bed on game day? I mean, I think I think you just you just have to they have well, I think they have three first round picks next year. So you technically just have to ride this out. Maybe they're just having cuz we're supposed the season we're having right now is we were supposed to have this last year. Is and Raider fans, I think just need to take this in and if it's the same next year because Gruden wants all this goddamn draft capital, and if you don't hit on a couple of these picks, Chris, they're not, still, even gonna, they're not even going to be in Oakland anymore. Yeah, they're going to Vegas. So that's it. If you are a current Oakland Raiders fan living in Oakland, what what do you have left? You have nothing. It's literally, it, ugh. they took everything from you, and then they left. They gave you one last shit sandwich to take a few bites out of, and then. They packed up. They packed up their circus tent and left town. Holy shit! And Chris, Oakland. What else does Oakland have going on for it? Nothing. No, Oakland's a shithole. Why would you want? <laughs> wow, that's aggressive. Yeah. Why would you want to play in a goddamn baseball stadium? All I know is that what the Oakland Raiders have done to their fans this year is cold as fucking ice, and I just. No matter what the Bills do to us this year, Chris, and no matter how bad the pummeling we take as fans is, it's not like this. <laughs> At least we know they're not kicking our ass literally on the way out the door. And so with that, folks, we move on to week 10. <laughs> Hopefully we all feel a little bit better after talking about some people who, you know, the, the less fortunate than us in the sports world. Week 10 preview, the Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to take place in the Meadowlands over in New Jersey. Chris, why don't you give me the weather report and the line? A high of 44, sunny on Sunday. Bills were favored. Not just kidding. We're, uh, Jets are favored by 7 and uh, on CBS. Throughout New York State and Northern PA, 
Andrew Catalan, and former Buffalo Bills wide receiver James Lofton. All right, folks, and I know everybody out there is super excited to see the two and what? What are we now, Chris? Two and seven Buffalo Bills take on the three and six New York Jets. I know you're all super pumped about this matchup. So to help us get fired up for it, we have a special guest who specializes in covering the New York Jets. Joe blew it. So he over-pursues and he has to dive at the ankles, which he does sometimes too much. He throws the back shoulder fade. So that's a really good move by McCown. Turn on the Jets' film room. Mr. Joe blew it. Oh, serves, protects, and covers the New York Jets. How are you? Um, if you've been watching the Jets, then as you just introed me, I'm doing not too well right now. I don't think any of us are doing well. Um, I'm waiting already until April, so it's uh, <laughs> it's been a mess right now. But it is what it is. So oh, I say, hey, listen, we're in the same boat, man. This is it. It's one hell of a ride. So our thing's going over at Turn on the Jets Film Room, folks. For those of you who don't know. He does his own show, Turn on the Jets Film Room, with uh, Joe Caparoso and another group of guys over at Turn on the Jets. What's that been like so far? I know that you've been doing it for how many months? It's, it's, almost- uh, it's been since like August, but now um, since one of my good buddies and the buddy that you guys know, no names, uh, he ditched out a little bit. I actually got Marcus Coleman on, who is a 11-year NFL veteran. Um, so me and him break down film for two to three hours, you know, weekly, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. But uh, yeah, doing film with with a guy who knows just a immense amount of football and knowledge about football. Um, it's unique because there's not a lot of people who, who do that, just strictly talk about film. And honestly, even people who do talk about film, there's not a lot of people who know what they're talking about with film <laughs> and, and having and having him. It, it definitely helps. So um, we're doing well. We're definitely doing well. Fantastic. Guys, I'm telling you, even if you're not a Jets fan, I've I've learned some things just just following them. You're going to want to check it out. There's going to be links in the write-up for the show tonight. But let's jump right into this. So first off, the 2018 New York Jets. You guys are at 3-6. and six. Is that correct, or am I missing your bye week in there? Somewhere? No, that's right. We, right. The whole division has uh, the same bye week. I'm not going to lie. I, I've This season, I tried to describe it to one of my friends as like being in a fight. I go, you know, whenever you've gotten into a fist fight in your life, you never really remember the the kicks in the head you might have taken in the middle. You remember the beginning and you remember the end. Like, we're somewhere in the middle, I think, across the division, unless you're the New England Patriots. I mean, I, I just feel like that accurately sums up what we've all gone through so far. So on the flip side, for, for a gangrene over here, Todd Bowles. That's where I want to start this off. My favorite quote about Todd Bowles was from a Jets fan on Deadspin, where he stated that whenever you see Todd Bowles on TV, he's always making a face like he just found an unexpected surcharge on his cable bill. There's a lot of talk right now that he's, even though he's starting a rookie quarterback, the fan base seems like they've lost their patience with him. I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, and honestly, like I, I hear a lot about people saying, you know, zombie bulls and all that stuff. I really don't. I honestly don't. I don't care about your how you act and things like that because Bill Belichick's one of those guys who doesn't really have facial expressions and things like that. If you win, you win. But yeah, the guy needs to go, just regardless of of everything from stupid decisions, punting the ball away, two scores down with three minutes left in the game, Ooh. or like last game against Miami where the Jets let up six points the entire game. Um, and there's five minutes left, and it's fourth and 12 from like, the Jets' 40-yard line, decides to go for it on a fourth and 12 where the Jets haven't probably picked up 
a third and long or a fourth and you know plus ten in over thirty five years it seems like <laughs> so he decides to to go for it there and then obviously um, you know things happen from there uh, but the guy is just he's he's miserable um, it, there's a long list of things from okay Chris Turnden if you look at the stats and I'm not a big stats guy I really do hate stats but. Um, the guy's putting up numbers every single week, but then for some reason he's playing less than a guy like Jordan Leggett, who's a bum. Um, there's also guys like Elijah McGuire, who played pretty well last week for the most part when he was in, but then they keep trotting out uh, guys like Isaiah Crowell, who is flashy at times where, yeah, he looks good, but then there's other times where he's just super inconsistent with his vision. So from from his game time decisions to not calling out Spencer Long, I don't know if you guys watched Spencer Long last week, but – the guy had five or six or seven snaps and spent almost every single week where he can't even get it to Sam Darnold. Darnold is, is having to make Odell Beckham-type catches to even just ca- you know catch a football from shotgun. So uh, he wasn't pulled out. It's just it's it's been years and years of this guy who has just he has no clue what he's doing um, at this point in you know in his coaching tenure. Uh, he he needs to go. I think the the entire staff, the entire brass needs to go at this point because. Oh, wow. Uh, I like Donald. I liked him a lot at USC. I liked some of the games that he's been playing. Uh, and he's had some struggles, obviously, with him being a 21-year-old rookie, um, the youngest ever starts you know, since their merger. Uh, so he's going to have his lumps, but I don't want him to continue to coach this team because I don't want him to regress uh, you know, as young as he is. So there's, there's been a lot of things with this guy. And he's, he, like I said, he's a bum. So, I mean, that's one of the things I've noticed in the end that, you know, in some cases people have made parallels to Sean McDermott, that he's a, you know, they've called him a coordinator and sort of Hugh Jackson-esque too. I mean, when you talk about coaches that are currently dealing with rookie quarterbacks, the ones who see, and in Miami, you're seeing it, coaches who were coordinators who seem to have struggled once they got the position of head coach. And in the cases of Hugh Jackson and in the cases of Todd Bowles, I mean, obviously, I still have some faith, but the jury's out for a lot of people on guys. And but for Adam Gase, you know, on McDermott, I'm still willing to let this play out. But in the case of yeah. a guy like Adam Gase, again, you're talking coordinators who were handed situations that they probably could have thrived in and instead failed. And it's because they were overmatched. They weren't meant to be head coaches. I mean, it's there's only 32 of those jobs. So. It wouldn't shock me to see him let go either. But Sam Darnold, I mean, you mentioned him, and that's kind of where I want to start talking about this offense. I mean, I know the, the news broke today after, after we, hours of show prep and putting all this stuff together, and then today yeah. he suddenly got this foot sprain where he's not going to play. So it's going to be – I guess I'm disappointed in the fact that I'm not going to get to see – because I'm not going to – I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've watched a whole Jets game. I'm not gonna. I, no one should subject themselves to that unless they have to. If you're a Bills fan, <laughs> well, you watched the whole Jet game earlier because uh, Jeff Fisher was the analyst. Oh my God! I didn't. You know what? <laughs> and the thing was, we just told people we're like, listen, I, I recorded it just so I could go back and see how bad Jeff Fisher was, and it turns out he was as atrocious as I expected. But with Sam yeah. Darnold, here's here's what I see. I see a young quarterback, like you said, youngest to start. There's good. I mean, he's 19th in the NFL in 20-plus yard passes. He's only 13th in sacks taken, which, I mean, Bills fans, we know all about a rookie quarterback taking their lumps, both you know, systematically the, in their understanding of football, in their execution of football, and physically just standing behind a line of scrimmage and not really seeing plays develop. I think he's done well considering he's taken so few sacks. I mean, out of all the rookie quarterbacks, he's the lowest. And out of all the rookie quarterbacks, he's got 11 touchdowns, which is also the highest. Mm. On the flip side of that coin, 
14 interceptions, eight of them in the last three games, and currently leads the NFL. He's got a lower, and this this one, I know you said you hate stats, but this one jumped out at me, and I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it, so I'm hoping you can help me. He has the lowest completion percentage in the NFL. Now, when you look at what the Bills have been trotting out week after week after week at quarterback, somehow we are 0.3% better in terms of completion percentage than Sam Darnold's been. So, <laughs> man, yeah. I, I guess I want to ask you, what is the feeling around, you know, with you for you personally and just around the fan base as far as Sam Darnold and where he currently stands as a quarterback? Well, just overall, I think it's I think it's pretty much where you expected, like I said, with a 21-year-old kid uh, coming out with not a ton of talent around his team. Um, now, yeah, would I like to see some of the, the you know lower number turnovers? Um, yes, no doubt about it. But and I'm not trust me. You guys know from talking to me, and if like I said, if you if you listen to the show or anything like that or Twitter, I'm definitely not a homer. Um, but just like versus the, the Vikings, um, you look, you see some of the lack of, of talent on the team where he's trotting out guys. Well, Noonan was hurt, and um, Robbie Anderson, yeah, he's a good deep threat, but other than that, he's really not much. And you're, they're trotting out guys like Deontay Burnett, who was you know an undrafted uh, rookie this year. He's also 21, 22 years old. They had Rashad Matthews. Um, they added to, you know him to the roster, but he's a he's a veteran aging guy who's not really anything. Um, to write home about, they're they're trotting out Sharon Peak. You guys know about this with the with the Bills. We have we have we have better than the, than the Bills with with uh, posi- like positional talent, uh, skill talent. But it's it's definitely been a, a rough um, go with him. And then also with that, the you know you talk about the sacks and a lot of those sacks is because of if you did watch USC, um, you know how you know well he moves and how some of the plays he makes. He's not Michael Vick, but he could definitely move around in the pocket and get out of the get out of the pocket, keep his eyes down the field. So he doesn't take a lot of sacks, but that's not saying there's not a lot of pressure that that's coming to him almost every single snap. Um, and then you, something that I mentioned before with the, the running game in Crowell, the offensive line, I think right now for those stats guys, they're like 30 or 31st in the NFL in terms of run blocking in, in the NFL. And you know how important a run game is to rookie quarterbacks. You, you, if you can't run the ball and there's multiple plays where the, the, the Actually, I think it was the last game. It was the last game or two two games ago where there was five yard or five plays in a row where the Jets gained no yards or negative yards on run plays, and they had a crap load of penalties every single week. And every it seems like every game it's run, run, pass, and then every um, you know third down is third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, third and eleven, and on top of that you have uh, penalties and drops and bad coaching. I don't know how many times where the Jets run a decent amount of concepts, whether it be, you know, sale or Hoss or pull or whatever. I can, I can go on forever mm-hmm. about concepts, but the problem is they run the, so few of them so often that the Jets just keep, it, it seems like every single play is okay. Run to the sticks and turn around. Like I, I, I literally not even trying to be like, you know, harsh, but it's just the lack of creati- uh, creativity, from Bates um, has been absolutely terrible. We're just giving them no options to throw down the field. Uh, they're not utilizing Rob, Robbie Anderson. They have no running game. The offensive line is garbage. They have wow. penalties. It's just he's not getting help, and I'm not blaming all on that because the last game he was terrible. Um, there was times where he would, you know, if there was a guy on a curl to flat or a, or a hook to curl zone, 
he wouldn't read that that flat defender. He would just assume that based on his exit angle that he was g- going to go into the flat, but he was staring down a you know a ten yard out or a, or a ten yard curl, and he would stare at that guy and he would bring the the defender to where he wanted to throw the balls. So he wasn't looking guys off. He was just chucking balls up. He didn't see anything. And honestly, right from the from the snap, this game, uh, he looked flustered. And that might be because of the last time I played Miami, they were in his face the entire game. And the offensive line was just getting abused in in, in uh, you know pass protection uh, just over and over again. Shell was getting dominated by by Wake and nobody was getting open. So he's been pretty much what I expected. I like to see a little bit lesser of the turnovers, but the Jets team coaching, et cetera, is just not helping this kid at all. And you know, he's twenty one years old, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy about it. But um, mm. he's pretty much what I expected for the most part. See, now that's fantastic analysis. And I, I picked up something in there that you were talking about. When you're talking about him staring down receivers and it leading to interceptions, one of the biggest things that had, I mean, going into this draft, there was the debate over who was going to be, because you knew a quarterback was going to be the number one overall pick. It was just a matter of which quarterback. And there were so many rumors, whether it was, all oh, the Browns love Josh Allen, the Browns love Mayfield, they love Darnold. The one thing I heard consistently was that Donald was viewed by a lot of scouts as the most pro-ready one, pro-ready of all these prospects. So it yeah. didn't shock me that he was leading in terms of the you know, the touchdowns. Now, in terms of the interceptions, though, you know, manipulating defenders with your eyes, especially at the NFL level, is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. We are starting Nathan Peterman. We've seen every way, shape, and form to get it, to get intercepted. At this point, just in a handful of games he started for us. Do you think that this is something that over the course of the season, because I'm sure you've witnessed some growth from him from week one till now. Do you think his vision is something that's going to continue to improve? Or is there something else mechanically with him that do you think is sort of feeding into these turnovers? Or is it literally just him having to get used to the speed? It's, It's a combination of a lot of things. It's 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 the play calling. It's the talent. Um, and it's not like consistently it's okay. He's playing, um, you know, terribly. It's the, it was, it was really this game and the, uh, game against the Jaguars where he really struggled, which with the lack of weapons playing the Jaguars when they were actually good, not the Jaguars of now, um, they were, they were really, really good at that point, And he was forcing some balls. But, um, other than that, like there was a game, I think it was the first, the Colts where he was like 10 for 22 and I watched the film. It was the best game he played. So, um, I, I'm not really a big like stat guy, but there are times where you know he'll look he'll look a defender off into the flat, and then he'll he'll jump back to a curl. Um, just really simple concepts I'm, I'm throwing out there, but he'll he'll manipulate guys. He'll he'll flip his hips, and even his body mechanics he'll show that he's throwing to the flat where he knows that he wants that slant, um, but he wants that linebacker and the hook to curl to move over um, so that so that slant is open. And he's been showing that plenty. He dominated the Colts. He dominated. Um, in the Broncos game, he's played well. It's just there's been a couple games where it's not as consistent, mm-hmm. and you could see the, the team around him is, is definitely hurting his confidence. So um, he, he's definitely showing it. It's, it's the speed of the game. It's getting used to different defenses. It's getting used to his weapons. He needs better weapons, but he's. I, I think he's definitely going to improve, especially for as young as he is. He's 21 years old. People have to understand that. So oh no, and that's and that's a caveat that all of the, I think a lot of these guys should get unless you're Brandon Whedon starting your first year at 27 years old which literally yeah. is a thing only the Browns can manage. That's the yeah. only franchise that can pull that off. But you just, so again, you touched on something here that makes me kind of want to move on to another topic. Scoring struggles, you've, you've kind of addressed a lot of the things that are wrong 
with the offense, the offensive line, the you know the running game not really materializing on a consistent enough base to support a rookie quarterback. Sounds like a, a lot like us. This team, for Bills fans out there who may not realize it, has six games where they've scored 17 or fewer points, and they've lost every single one of them. And over the last three weeks, you guys are averaging 11 points per game. Now, I know that injuries have played something of a role. I think, in my opinion, one of the biggest losses for you guys is running back Bilal Powell. He was always an underrated part of the Jets' offense, in my opinion. And maybe that's just me as an outsider kind of overblowing the guy's value. Injuries aside, where do you think your offense does things well? And what's something that Bills fans should be watching for on Sunday when your team takes ours on? Nowhere. (laughs) Seriously, it's... I uh, the best part of and one of the best parts about Sam Darnold at USC was getting him rolling out in play action and using that ability that he has to throw on the run and the Jets did that in, in the beginning part of the um, of the season and it worked to an extent but they kept running sale concepts sale concepts sale concepts just consistently and and defenses for some of our um, listeners who might not, I was gonna say for for some of our Listeners who might not know what a sale concept is. Can that you just describe me. that real quick? Yeah, that would be me. I have no idea. <laughs> so, okay, so it's it's obviously it could be different from where from where um, players basically come from, but a sale mm-hmm. concept is it's it's a three verti- it's a it's a three um, level read to the sideline where you usually have let's say a flat and then you can have a cross from the from the um, from the opposite side of the field, or it could be the, or it could be from the same um, side as the flat. So it'd be, let's say, a corner route or a crossing route, whatever you want to be, would be the intermediate read. The flat would be the, um, it could be a flat, it could be a hitch, um, as long as it's it's a short read. And then you have the longer read, which could be a post. It could be, um, you know, a nine route. So all it really is is it's a it's a three level read on the sideline. Um, for the most part. And there's obviously like a flood, which is would be like a curl, a mm-hmm. corner, a deeper corner, and then a flat. But it's mm-hmm. it's sale is pretty much that that vertical thread, that that long read is a nine uh nine route. So it's it could be a, a whole bunch of different forms of it, but it's a it's a three uh, level read at, at the sideline. So with Josh McCown under center, do you expect the offense to rebound this weekend? I mean you're talking about going up against a defense that for despite what's being put up on the scoreboard, we talked about it earlier tonight. Mm-hmm. The defense has been quietly ridiculously efficient. I mean, our defense is playing their asses off trying to keep this team. And I mean, last week, Lorenzo Alexander broke our hearts saying that talking about how you know, there's there's players who, you know, I guess we, we play these teams that all get defensive touchdowns and that's how they're beating us then, hey, I guess we have to score, too, because what we're currently doing isn't enough. How do you expect a quarterback like McCown with a subpar offense to do against a defense that's playing almost what I would refer to as playoff caliber defense? Yeah, um, well, I, I don't know. Is, is is Nathan Peterman playing for you guys this week? Is that is that say, <laughs> the same thing that's happening? Yes. Yeah, so honestly, and I think he has – doesn't he have like – there's some crazy stat of how many – pick sixes he's had compared to the turnover or something like that. So he has more um, pick sixes than I think he has passing touchdowns at this point, yeah. or, or he's equaled it. He's either yeah, tied so or I, I think I think the Jets are going to get one or two turnovers um, with that because the Jets over the last couple of, of weeks, the defense has played really, really well at, at times as, uh, you know, um, in certain games or some certain games they play, you know, they play terribly as well. But uh, I think they get a, a turnover or two from, from Peterman get, giving the Jets a, a 
good uh, field position because I'm assuming you guys don't give a ton of yards, but some of the games that have been playing or the Jets have been playing, you know, a recent recently have been, okay, you're at the Jets 20, you know, here, here you go, Donald, Donald against the Jaguars or the bears or the Vikings drive the field, drive the field 80 yards because they haven't really been uh, forcing mm-hmm. a lot of turnovers, but I'm hoping versus Peterman, they can, they can, you know, force some of those turnovers. And with the offense, the, really the only thing I can hope that they do and the, the only thing they do well is, is really Quincy Nunwa. And then hopefully they see some, you know, I see some more, deep shots to Robbie Anderson because they just haven't been doing it at all. They don't, they don't open, you know, up the offense at all really with Anderson just drives me absolutely insane. So I I think the only thing the Jets can really do is take deep shots um, and then, you know, use uh, those screen plays to get a because a Oh, he's like a, he is a phenomenal wide receiver. I watch what I've seen of Jets games. I'm jealous that we don't have a super physical, super competitive wide receiver like that. Yeah, he's and, and he's really the example. The when people say, "Oh, he's a running back with the ball in his when he, when he gets the ball in his hands from receivers," that's exactly what he, he'll he'll truck three four guys over. It, it's so I'm I'm hoping a lot of screen plays, a lot of uh, deep throws to to Robbie Anderson because w- for whatever reason, Jeremy Bates when Donald is in, he doesn't throw the ball plus twenty yards ever. So everybody is stacking the box and playing sh- uh, shallow zones, and Donald doesn't have any room to throw. So I'm hoping they change a little bit because of um, McCown playing, but. I, I see this as like a game where it's like, you know, nobody's going over 20 points type of game. So, well, and it especially, would take, especially would, not you guys. So. Would, <laughs> my God, if we got over 20 points, it would be an aberration. Like yeah. it would be like a lunar eclipse. So you mentioned the defense. I just got a few questions before we let you go about that real mm-hmm. quickly. Bills fans have gotten to know the New York Jets defense. For the last seven or eight years, that's been one of the trademarks of New York Jets football. I mean, it's been defined by strong D-line play, solid defensive back play behind him. Names like Revis, Cromartie, Richardson, Wilkerson. All of these guys have played back there. Demario Davis, I mean, you can say what you want about him, but you guys had some decent inside linebacker play. Now, what you have, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that you guys are tied for 19th in the NFL in sacks behind the Bills somehow. And during your, but during your latest three-game losing streak, you have yet to give up more than 250 yards passing. I mean, like I said, this yeah. is something we as Bills fans are really familiar with. And a lot of that feeds into the turnovers on the offense. Now, I personally, when it comes to Darren Lee, I'm very much interested in what happens with him throughout his career. This is my quote on him pre-draft. The guy is Keith Ellison 2.0. He can suck my ass. At the beginning of the season, Darren Lee seemed like he was really coming on. And then, I don't know what happened, but I stopped hearing positive things about him. So I don't know how that's going. But I guess I'm going to ask, on your defense, where are the chinks in the Jets' armor? The the, the kinks? (laughs) The the chinks in the armor there. You said a different word there, but uh, that's that's okay. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so the the, uh, – it's Lee has been he's been okay. Where the seasons before that, he was just absolutely terrible. But now he kind of is like a below average start. You can kind of pass with. So, but he he's still he's still an issue at times in zone coverage. So he's one of the the badder spots of of the defense. Um, the pass rush that you talked about with the sack numbers. Uh, the the pa- the pass rush if they're not throwing stunts and and you know sending five or six guys is absolutely non-existent. Um, so that's a, that's one of the problems with the defense, and then the depth of the of the secondary, especially the corners with Tremaine Johnson, who they they signed to a contract that was like a billion dollars. 
Um, he's played, I think he played the first four weeks and now the last five weeks he hasn't played. So they're hoping for him back. Um, but I would say depth at corner, slot corner. Um, Lee is still a little bit sketchy and, and a pass rush are some things that you can watch for that the Jets defense um, is is definitely below average at. So, uh, you know, Peterman should have some time in the pocket, at, you know, at times. That's the um, worst thing, though. That is the worst thing in the world because they, they <laughs> the guy's interceptions all come. I mean, the quote, you can take this and tell your friends. The quote that I read that made me laugh my ass off was if Nathan Peter, this is coming from a Bills fan. If Nathan Peterman were to stare down wide receivers on the street the way he stares them down in the field, the dude would have more restraining orders than interceptions. Like <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's bad for you guys then. I, like I said, um, I do not know what the Bills organization sees in Peterman, but your guys' quarterback situation over the last two years uh-huh. is just – it's it's laughable at this point. I'm not even just crap on you guys. I actually don't even hate Bills fans, but wow, I I, I don't even get it at this yeah, we, point. Yeah, we so. feel we feel you. Like I said, it's being in a fist fight. You're just waiting for it to end. You don't remember any of the things that happened in the middle of it. You're just hope. You're just waiting for that moment where the punches stop coming, and you're like, God, thank God. It's I th- I think you for Bills fans, you guys are just sitting in the fetal position, just trying not That's to freaking get a, get your ass kicked to me in the hospital at this point. I've it's been just, thr- I, I've been rolled before. I mean, as a guy who used to get into fights, I've gotten my ass handed to me. And this yeah. rem- this season reminds me a lot of some of those fights where you're just laying on the bottom, covering your face, just trying to ride it out. You're like, this guy can't throw punches at me forever. Joe, why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff online and we'll link it all in the write up to the show. Cool. Yeah, it's just uh, the podcast app, TOJ, Space Film, Space Room, and then YouTube. It's just you type and turn on the Jets. And like, I, like you said, it's if. I know there's like not a ton of film shows out there, and I'm sure that a lot of people don't want to hear about Jets. But if you do want to watch just the two weeks that the Jets play the Bills and learn some about concept like Sale or Hoss or Pole or Crease or Mills or wherever you want to learn about, we we talk about it, especially the 11 year NFL veteran uh, who had three picks actually in that Monday Night Miracle. <laughs> if you want to learn about some football, um, especially with the with the Jets playing the Bills, uh, we'll obviously talk a lot about it this week. Um, definitely jump over and, and check us out. We want to thank Joe Blewett for coming on. He, on Twitter, I don't think he said it there at the end, but if you want to follow him and his personal Twitter, it's at JoeRB31. And so that, Chris, brings me to what we here on the Rock Bell Report are going to be watching for come Sunday. I mean, we used to do Keys to Victory, but at, that point, at this point, that seems old hat. <laughs> it seems pointless. So... I'm, I, what we're going to do is we're just going to give you a rundown of what it is we're looking for. And me personally, I said it before, I want to see what the offensive line rotation looks like. Yeah, I want more Wyatt Teller. Give me more I, Wyatt Teller. I want to see what Wyatt Teller has. This Cyril's kid. Let's see if he has anything. Because both he and Mills, our current right tackle, are free agents at the end of the season. It's going to be interesting to see what what kind of shuffling they do on the offensive line and experimentation comes from it and the production that that might bring. I mean, think what's, what's the worst that could happen, Chris, what's the worst that shuffling our offensive line could do. Yeah. We're already out of the playoffs. I'm also going to be watching to see the jets offense hearing Joe Blewett talk about it. It sounds like there's nothing positive about it. And that Sam Darnold's, growth as a quarterback was really the only thing worth watching with him out of the game. The thing I want to see is can we take a shitty offense and a shitty quarterback and can our defense do what the dolphins did last week that our special teams can win the football game. 
Because I have a feeling, Chris, that our defense needs a game here just to prove, just to flex their muscles a little bit. Show, like, look, we're still here. We are still a solid unit, a playoff caliber unit. They've been playing like it for weeks. I'd like to see that aspect of it. And then I want to see what happens if the Jets find a way to lose. Does Todd Bowles get fired immediately afterwards? Do they fire him in halftime? No, they don't Vontae Davis him in halftime. <laughs> He'll get the he should get the rest of the season. I, mean, I don't Do the players respond to a coach who's on the ropes? That's what I want to see. I want to see how the team, the New York Jets, without their rookie quarterback, playing a guy who they know can't take them to the playoffs, otherwise he would have done it last year because he had an arguably better team. Does the team just fold or do they respond? Because that's the mark of coaching, and that's the mark of veteran leadership. And if they don't have that, that says more about that team than it does about anything else. And it makes me feel a little bit better about the way our defense has handled things so far this season. Do we have any predictions on the game? As always, I'm going <sighs> to... Line seven, Jets by seven. Jets by seven? I'm going to say the Bills win by a field goal. Okay. Well, I know, that's stupid, but I'm going to say... <laughs> That it's a low-scoring game because Josh McCown hasn't taken a snap all year. That said, though, I do think they're going to score a touchdown because there's going to be at least one or two scripted drives built into the game where the Bills have no tape on what Josh McCown's good at. So there's going to be at least one touchdown, and I'm going to say at least at least 13 points for the Jets. And I'm going to say that the Bills kick five field goals to win 15-13. to 13. All right, I'm. I think I think the Bills. I think we're going to lose, but I think we're also going to cover that seven. I All think right. I think the Jets are going to win, uh, twelve to nine. Oh well, <laughs> it's going to be all field goals. It's going to be a field goal festival. No yeah, touchdowns. Twelve. No touchdowns. Twelve to nine. Seagram's bet. No touchdowns. All right, I can do that. All right, here we go. There that, we go, that's folks. That's a new one. There no we go. Touchdowns. Folks, we got to get out of here before we do. Again, follow Poncho Bilo over on Twitter. You know, he's, he's, he's at Poncho Bilo one At Poncho Bilo one And I was going to I was gonna get this. Send him. Send was, him. Oh, keep going. Well, you go. I was just going to bring this out because I'm sure people have been wanting to, to hear about this. But because um, it's what we're in, about to go into week 10. So through nine weeks, we've drank 183 beers. <laughs> You specifically have drank 102 of them. I mean, so if if you voted, if you guessed on the low end of the spectrum there, you might have a shot at winning something. But folks, beer, there's nothing to get excited about here. Beer watch, beer watch is struggling. It's just been a rough season, guys. Prayers for Pancho Bila. Good luck to the Bills on Sunday. We got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.